0: Samuel chapter number six. I think probably on Wednesday night crowd, we know the backstory of just a little bit of how David has sought to bring the ark of God back up to Jerusalem from the Philistines and how David has improperly carried the ark on the cart and how Uzzah reached up to save the ark or Uzzah. My wife gets on to me all the time. She's laughing right now. I knew she would be because in the book of Job, I say the land of Uz. She says, so why don't you say Uzzah instead of Uzzah? She says, you're inconsistent. So I just had to throw that in there right there because I knew she was laughing. And sure enough, I looked down and she was. So Uzzah was struck dead by God because Uzzah put his hand up to steady the ark. And now we're going to read the aftermath of that. And I believe God's got something special for us here tonight. Look at verse number 8, 2 Samuel chapter 6. The Bible says, And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and says, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So watch closely what the Bible tells us in verse number 10 and verse number 11. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household Verse 12, and it was told King David saying, the Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Let's pray again. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray you'd help us tonight, preach what you've laid upon our heart, give us grace in the presentation, and I pray we'd receive it, Lord, as David did with gladness. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Something interesting I was noticing about our illustrations up here, and uh, once again, I appreciate all those who worked hard to get those put together, and I think I have one up here in the pulpit. Yeah, I think we have one up in here. One thing I was noticing about these gears that is really relative to the message tonight is that when you look at these gears, the one that we have here and the ones that we have mounted up here, in order for them to work, in order for them to spin, in, for, in order for them to function the way that they were made to function, their positioning is very important. In order for these gears, if they were real gears in a clock working together, uh, these gears have to be mounted in a certain place to where they are positioned perfectly on that center piece in order that they will turn and function along with the other gears that are there. As I thought about the message tonight, I thought, you know, that's a great way to segue into the message because in order for those gears to work, they must be positioned right and they must be mounted perfectly on this bolt that is in the dead center of the gear. And that gear cannot function correctly and run smoothly unless it is perfectly mounted with that bolt right there in the center. Now, I want you to think tonight of God as a lot like that bolt that is in the center of the gear. When God is in his rightful place and we are living a life that is a God-centered life, how we see God blessed and how we see God work through us and how we see things work in unison as they are supposed to be. Uh, The best that my home ever works is when God is in the center of my home and my home revolves around God. When God is in his rightful place, we see the blessings of God and we see the power of God. We see that in churches as well. You know, you would think that in a church that God would always be in the center of a church and all that takes place inside the church would revolve around God. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. You're hard pressed today to find a church that is God-centered. To where the ministries of the church, the goals of the church, the motivation of the church revolves around a God that is in the center of it. By the way, that is why we see churches that are lacking in God's providence. That's why we see churches that are lacking in God's power, Uh, and if we want to finish it out and alliterate it with another P, we see churches that are lacking with productivity because God is not in the center, and when God is not in his rightful place in the center of your heart, the center of your home, the center of our church, or even look at our country, I can't tell you for sure that God was in the dead center of our country at its inception, but I think he was very close. You read the writings of our founding fathers and you read quotes by the men who put this country together and you can tell that there's a Judeo-Christian center to our country where they were trying to build it and honor it around Almighty God and how we saw God bless in the first 150 and 200 years of our country. God's hand was upon this place. God's powers upon America. Here we are, this little upstart country, I mean, just barely over 200 years old, and we became the world power. You cannot do that by accident. You can only do that by the mighty hand of God. I think it's important that we teach our young people the real history of America because you'll find that the hand of God was there all along. And you'll find the reason that America worked so well is because God was close to the center of America. And when God is in his rightful place, everything rotates around him. We see things work the way they're supposed to work. But when things get off and out of balance... Our lives begin rotating around other things. That's when we lose the power of God. We lose the providence of God. We lose the blessings of God. And tonight we're going to see that in the life of a man uh, that we read about in verse number, uh, verse number 10 and verse number 11. A man by the name of Obed-Edom. And we know this story very well. The ark of God was being brought up by David uh, to, to Jerusalem. And Uzzah, we know, was struck dead. And when he was struck dead, it really just, uh, it really dampered the party, if you will. They were excited. They were marching in this, uh, this great procession as they brought the ark of God back. And as soon as God struck him dead, the mood changed really quickly. I think it probably would for all of us. The Bible says in verse 9, David was afraid. David says, I'm not sure about this, taking the ark of God. I don't know about sure about bringing it into our city now that we saw of what happened. Now, you recall, this is important tonight. So you need to remember this as we preach these two or three points, that the ark of God always went before the children of Israel. The ark of God represented the presence of God amongst his people. They would carry it forth into battle. And I don't know if you're going to have that big TV screen in heaven that everybody talks about. I hope we do, but I would love to see the army of God marching toward Jericho and the ark of God there in the lead. I I imagine that was a magnificent sight to see. And you remember what Rahab said when they heard the army of God was come, they were scared to death because the power and the presence of God was with Israel. Now, As David goes to bring back the Ark of God, I want you to remember that Ark of God represented the presence of God. When God would come down in the tabernacle, he would dwell there, and he would hover right above the Ark of the Covenant of God. So David was, in essence, bringing the presence of God back. Now the Uzzah has been killed, and David says, I don't know if we're going to bring it back into the city. Let's take it somewhere in between. So verse 10 tells us where he takes it. So David would not remove the Ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, David carried it aside in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Now what's wonderful is you will see tonight, we're going to see some of the effects of what happens when the ark of God uh, is brought into your home, all right, the presence of God, and Obed-Edom, can you imagine Obed-Edom bringing the ark of God to his home, Uh, I'm going to tell you something, as exciting as it was, and we'll see the blessings that came from it in a few minutes, it was not always an easy thing. So we're going to see what it looks like when your home and our church and our country has God and the presence of God right there in the middle of it, and we're going to use Obed Edom's home as an illustration. So tonight we're going to look at this subject of a God-centered service. The only way that us as gears in this body of Christ at Central Baptist Church are going to function the way God would have us to function, that we fulfill the will of God, that we have the blessings of God, and we have the power of God, is God must be at the center of our service. Now, the home of Obed-Edom had the presence, the ark of God, if you will, right there in the center, and we're going to see how that affected that and how we can have a God-centered service as well here at Central. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice tonight is I want you to notice the inconvenience. All right, the inconvenience of having a God-centered service. Now, you're saying, Brother Jeremiah, are you, uh, are you getting a little bit tongue-tied there tonight? Are you saying it's an inconvenience to have a God-centered service? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me tell you why. I want you to imagine Obed-Edom. I'm sure David and Obed-Edom had this conversation. Uh, David says, look, man, I'm scared to bring this thing back to the city. Hey, would you do me a favor and, and bring it to your house? Now, that's not the King James English, okay? I'm just kind of giving you a, 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 a summarization of how it kind of went down. So Obed-Edom says, absolutely, you can bring the ark of God to my house. And then Obed-Edom goes home. Here's how I see it happening because Obed-Edom was a man just like us. And he tells his wife, by the way, I invited the ark of God over today. And I'll be bringing the ark of God home to our house. Now, folks, this is not just something, a trinket. All right, This is the ark of God that represented the presence and the power of God. And here comes Obed-Edom, home to Mrs. Obed-Edom, and says, Honey, I'm bringing the ark of God home today. I want you to understand, I am sure, to say the least, that disrupted their household a little bit. I mean, I've gone to my wife before, and I said, Honey, you know, uh, I invited three families over for lunch after church in five minutes. That doesn't always go over well. You know, my wife keeps a very clean house, but you know, I'm sitting there studying in the living room in the morning. I have books strolling all over the place. She says, I got to go home and put your books up and get all of this together and all. It inconveniences when you, at the last minute, bring something into your home. Imagine doing that with the ark of God. Now, I want you to flip that over spiritually tonight. If you're going to have a God-centered home, if you're going to have a God-centered life, if we're going to have a God-centered church, if we're going to have a God-centered country, we must understand it will come with some inconvenience to the pre-existing life that we are living right now. By the way, can I tell you, that's why most people do not have a God-centered life. Because it's an inconvenience. That's why a lot of churches today, they do not want a God-centered church. They sing about it and they talk about it. But understand, when you have the presence of God in your home and in your life and in your heart, it's going to change the way you do things. I want you to think about this just for a moment. I wonder if having the ark of God in their home changed things around. I wonder if when Obed-Edom brought the ark of God into his house, if they had to move some things around to accommodate it. I bet you they did. You know, I, I'm just gonna tell you, if I was bringing the Ark of God in my house, you know, we'd move a whole, we'd clear out a whole room just for the Ark of God. It's going to inconvenience things. And by the way, having God in the center of your life is going to inconvenience things as well. There's some things that are gonna have to be moved around so that God can have his rightful place. I remember uh, growing up, I, you know, I lived with my parents for 25 years. And, uh, you know, I had a good thing going there. My mom's cooking. Uh, they paid the most of the bills. <laughs> you know, I'm no dummy. You know, I wasn't going to get married until I had to. And finally, when Miss Leslie caught me, I had to, you know. And she chased me around all those years, and so I finally gave in and let her catch me. No, it was kind of the other way around. But I remember when I was at my mom and dad's house, mom needed something, I'd go to the grocery store for her. I didn't have a problem with that. Uh, dad needed something, I'd, I'd go get whatever dad needed. And, you know, I was there to help and do whatever I could. But then when I got married, you know, I liked being around my wife. And, you know, my wife became the new center of my world. So when I was at home, my life revolved around mom and dad. But when I got married, for this cause, shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, leave and cleave as a biblical principle? My life revolved around her. So I could not always go and do things for mom and dad that I wanted to do, and nothing wrong with them in the first place, and it was no spite. But now my life revolved around my wife, who I was cleaving to, so it inconvenienced the life that I used to have. Now, folks, this is what happens when God becomes the center of your life. It's going to inconvenience the life you used to live. But I want to tell you, it's for the better all day long. But you've got to decide that God's going to be in the center and you've got to decide I'm going to inconvenience the way I used to live, not inconvenience God. Because here's the truth. The truth is whatever is in the center of your life is going to inconvenience something else. There's no way. I, I am a people pleaser. That is my nature. That's, that's, that's who I am. I do not like telling people no. Uh, and I don't like being told no either. So we can just kind of have a mutual agreement on that. We'll be good. All right. I don't like telling people, no, I can't do something. My wife is the one who taught me how to say no, because I would say yes to everybody. You can't say yes to everybody, can you? You'll run yourself ragged, trying to please this person and please that person, and i got to be there for this, and after a while, your head explodes. I don't have a lot to explode, and that's what happened right here. That's where it came out at. It exploded. I couldn't handle it anymore. Why? I was trying to please this person, please this person, and here's what I did not want to do. I did not want to inconvenience this person. I did not want to inconvenience this person. But sooner or later, when you make God the center of your life, it's going to inconvenience other aspects of your life. We just got to go ahead and understand that. That serving God and making God the center of our life where everything revolves around him, we've got to realize it's going to inconvenience some things on the periphery of our life. I'll give you a few examples that I think you'll understand well. Remember Esther? You know, I'm sure Esther is probably a lot like me. Esther enjoys living. She enjoys life. Look, I know I'm going to heaven when I die, but you know what? I'm willing to wait until the Lord's ready for me. I'm not going to go stand out there in the middle of the highway, you know. I'm not looking forward to dying anytime soon. For those of you that have any ideas, I'm not, okay. Esther liked living too. But to do the will of God and to make sure her life revolved around the will of God for your life, do you know what she was going to have to do? She was going to have to inconvenience herself. Because she told Mordecai this. She says, I'll go in unto the king, which is not According to the law. She says, Mordecai, in order to keep God in the center of my life and let my life revolve around God, it might cost me, absolutely will. A lot of times we would rather inconvenience God than inconvenience ourselves. Do you know what that means when we would rather inconvenience God than inconvenience ourselves? It means we have placed ourselves right in the place that God belongs. Because why? So how do you know that? Because your life is revolving around you, not revolving around God. Do you know, that's why I don't have to think, you say, well, of course, you get paid to come to church. Well, let me tell you something. I'd come to church if I didn't get paid to be here. Why? Because my life revolves around God. I don't have to wonder if I'm going to come to church. I don't have to wonder if I'm going to read my Bible. I don't have to wonder if I'm going to submit my will to God's. Why? Because my life has got to revolve around God. And if my life does not revolve around God, it's not going to work right. Imagine, look, imagine. I think we all have enough imagination, right? I know some of you folks are a little older than I am, but your imagination still works well. What if the hole was right here? Man, this thing would be like... I had a car like that one time. I'm not a mechanic. I went on YouTube to figure out how to fix it, Brother Cook, and I had to take it to another mechanic to really fix it. I didn't know. Man, stuff was going all around in there. What happened? Something had got out of balance. Something wasn't wasn't marked where it was supposed to be. It wasn't centered where it was supposed to be. And that's why a lot of our marriages are the way they are. God's not at the center of them. I just wonder why my marriage is doing like this. I'll tell you why. God's not at the center of it. Look, if God's gonna be in the center, it's going to inconvenience a lot of the rest of your life. But I'm gonna tell you this it'll run a whole lot smoother when God's in the middle and you let everybody else take the leftovers. Don't give God the leftovers. Remember in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus called the disciples. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Can I tell you the decision they had to make at that moment? At that moment, they had to decide what was going to be the center of their world right there. Why? Because the Bible goes on to tell us that they left their nets and their father. Don't you think for a second that leaving their job behind inconvenienced somebody? It did. Don't you think leaving dad high and dry inconvenienced him? Absolutely. I mean, now he's going to find somebody to replace it, and nobody works as good as your kids, right? Because you can whoop them. Not only can you fire them, you can whoop them, you know? I mean, nobody works like your kids. I mean, I worked with my dad for years. My brother and I worked with my dad for years, and we worked well together because we spent all that time together, and we knew each other, and they've inconvenienced their dad. They've inconvenienced the company, but at that moment, The disciples had to decide what their life was going to revolve around. And I'm going to tell you, the world was changed and people's lives were eternally made different. Why? Because at that moment, they chose to inconvenience everything else and put God at the rightful center of their life. This is why Galatians 5, the Bible tells us verse 17, walk in the spirit and you'll what? Not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? You keep reading. If you want to turn there and read it, you can. The Bible says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. The Bible says they're contrary one to another, that you cannot do the things you would. You see, it all depends how you function, depends on what your life revolves around. Something is going to be inconvenienced. If you walk in the spirit, it's going to inconvenience your flesh. If you walk in the flesh, it's going to inconvenience your spirit. And that's why we can't do the things we would, because it's showing us what our life is truly revolving around. So number one tonight, a God-centered service, understand there's an inconvenience involved there. Here's the definition of the word uh, of inconvenience. It was a long definition, but I'm going to shrink it for the purpose of an illustration, okay? It means difficulty caused to one's comfort. Inconvenience. It means difficulty caused to one's comfort. You see, look, if I put God in his rightful place and my life revolves around God, you know, that's going to cause me some discomfort in other areas of my life. absolutely will. But I assure you, the blessings from putting God here will far outweigh the discomfort. So number one, notice there's an inconvenience involved. When he brought the ark of God home, it inconvenienced things. It changed things up. And I'm going to tell you this. If God's going to be in the center, some things are going to suffer. Remember when the Philistines took the ark of God and they put it in the temple with their God, Dagon? Do you remember what happened to Dagon? he fell over. They picked him back up. And he fell over. Why? Because God was not going to coexist. Can I tell you, God is not going to share this spot. So I'm going to put God here, and I'm going to put my job here. It's not going to work. not going to work. I'm going to put God here. I'm going to put myself here. No, there's only one spot that God should occupy, and that's the center of our life, and the rest of our life should revolve around him. So watch what happens. Look down, if you would, verse number 11. The ark of of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So what is happening here? He's brought the ark of God into his home. His home, look, the ark of God is in the center of his home. His home is revolving around the ark of God. It is there. So we see it was an inconvenience. But number two, notice the impact. Verse 11 says that the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now here's something we did to understand tonight. The reason so many of us do not put God in his rightful place is because of the impact it's going to have. The impact that we think putting God in the center of our life is going to have is not worth the inconvenience. If I work hard to get up earlier and spend more time in my Bible, if I spend 30 more minutes in prayer today, if I do this, it's going to cost me what? And we see what it's going to cost us, and it's not worth the inconvenience. But I want you to see the impact. Look at the impact of having a God-centered life that it had on the household of Obed-Edom. The Bible says here that God blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Not only was he blessed personally, but his whole household By the way, Dad, can we just throw this uh, down the middle for us a little bit tonight? This is why it's important, dads, that we make sure God is in the center of our homes. You know, sometimes our kids don't know up from down, right from left. You know, it's not their responsibility to make sure God's in the center of the household. It's ours. As a leader of our home, it's our job to make sure we bring in God regardless of the inconveniences if that means we gotta move some things out, let's move some things out that God can have his rightful place. If we gotta move some things around, let's move some things around that God can have his rightful place. I, th- I thought about this. Let me give you this real quick. I wonder if the household of Obed Edom acted different because the ark was there. You know how the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's like a boomerang. You have a really good thought, you're ready to preach. He said, I'm just gonna throw that thought out there. Man, that's a good one. And you just wait a minute. It's going to come back and clock you right in the head. And I thought to myself, I think the Holy Spirit helped me out with this. I wonder if we would watch the same things on television that we would watch if the ark of God was there. I wonder if we would talk the same way to our wives and our spouses and our children if the ark of God was there. I bet it would change the way we lived if the presence of God was there. It ought to change us. It's going to inconvenience us. But notice that the impact that it had on his house, the Bible says that God blessed his household. Now, let me tell you this tonight. If you'll look in the word of God, you'll find basically, you'll find many, but you'll find basically two catalysts. Two catalysts to finding the blessings of God and having the blessings of God. They're simply this. The first is obedience to God. You want God's blessings? Be obedient. That's a simple one. What did he tell them in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 11? He says, behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. He goes on, I think, verse 26, and he says, a blessing if you obey. How simple is that? By the way, can I tell you this, mom and dad? It's one of the greatest things you could do is to teach your children that principle, that obedience leads to blessings. And It's also very, very damaging when we bless disobedience. Let me tell you why. Because one day when they're out from under our roof... And they're just between them and God, and they're accountable directly to God. God doesn't bless this obedience. It's going to be a shock to them. And so if we teach them this principle that obedience leads to blessings, when they get out on their own, they're going to know how to have a right relationship with God because God teaches the same thing, all right? So now we see obedience leads to blessings, but the second thing is really, really important. Not only is the obedience to God, but order of God leads to blessings. All right, if you remember those two things, I promise you it'll change your life. Obedience to God leads to blessings, but this is the one I want to get to. The order of God leads to blessings. Here's Obed Edom, and he's brought God into his home. God is right there in the middle. Everything is working around the ark of God and the presence of God in his life. And folks, can I tell you something tonight? If we want God's blessings and God's power, we've got to make sure God is in his rightful place. The impact, notice it says in verse 11, that the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. You want the blessings of God? How do you have the blessings of God? Well, you send thirty nine ninety five to Joel Osteen, and he'll send you this little prayer cloth, and you, wanna, and you get the blessings of God. No, that's not how it works. The Bible shows us it's through obedience and then keeping things in the right order. What does Matthew 6.33 say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things shall be added. So notice that word first, that's an order word. Put God in his rightful place. We put God in the center of our home where he belongs. And the impact of that is the Bible says all these things shall be added. What are all these things? We'll read the rest of Matthew chapter 6. The context is what we need. He says, Don't worry about what you're gonna eat or where you're gonna sleep or what you're gonna He says, hey, seek ye first the kingdom of God, put me in my rightful place, and watch the impact of that. The impact is things work the way that God planned them to. But my goodness, when we skip out on this and we say, you know what, I'm gonna put something else here. I'm gonna put my job here. Because you know, if I put my job here, I'll make more money and I'm gonna I'm gonna have more things. It's out of order. I don't care how many, much overtime you work, it's out of order. God's not going to bless disorder. God doesn't bless disobedience, and God's not going to bless disorder. It will not work like it should be unless God is in his rightful place. If you skip out on that one, can I tell you what's going to happen? You're going to see the impact of it. And it's not the impact you want. Our kids are uh, doing SATs, right? Y'all did that today, right? Do good? Hey, Amen, did well. Still in those little circles, right? Our kids are going to be really good at filling out circles before the week is over. And uh, Molly was asking me on the way to school this morning. She asked me more questions about the SAT than there were on the SAT. I said, Dad, what's it like? Said, what are they going to ask me? Is it stuff I've learned? Is it anything I don't know? I said, look, babe. I said, it's been a long time for Dad uh, when Dad filled in those circles. So you're just going to have to wing it and just trust God to get through it. I said, let me tell you one thing, though. Let me tell you one thing. Do not skip a question. If you skip a question and you start filling in blanks in the wrong blanks, then they're all going to be wrong. I said, don't skip one. Don't skip one because then you'll be filling in this one and you get got the wrong answer. you got the answer to number seven and number six, and it's going to be a mess, and you're going to miss. It's going to throw them all off. Ain't that the way it is with God? When you get things out of order... And you try to skip the order that God has prescribed for his blessings, for his providence, uh, for, his, for his hand of protection. When you get things out of order, you throw it all out of order. If God is not in his rightful place, that gear's not going to turn the way it should. And you're going to miss out on all that God said that we could have. That's why Psalm 37, the Bible says, the steps of a good man are what? Ordered by the Lord. Think about that. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You ever wonder why so many people end up in the wrong place? They end up in the the ditches of life. They end up going off the cliffs of life. They end up in the traps of life. It's because their steps were not ordered by the Lord. You just follow the order that he gave us. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. God's not going to lead you off a cliff. God's not going to lead you into a trap. God's not going to lead you to so many places that we end up in. We lead ourselves there by getting out of the order that God prescribed for us to live by. That's why He uses the word order. Several years ago, I taught a Wednesday night class. Kids and my wife and I—boy, we loved it. As a matter of fact, I ran across some of the—I I had them take notes in church. I wanted my kids taking notes in church, and they would turn their outlines into me, and sometimes they were hilarious uh, when they get the outlines in, but I wanted them paying attention. So they would write down the, write down the sermon title, and they would write down the notes. And Anyway, we were in the class there with them one day, and we are talking about the blessings of God. I want to tell you something. I like the blessings of God. Amen? You missed a good opportunity. That was an easy one. That was an uncontroversial amen. You could amen that and nobody would have looked at you or laughed at you, okay? You know, I know you're always nervous about make sure you get the amen right. You know, you want to get it in there right, not look like an idiot, right? So that was an easy one. Look, I love the blessings of God. I want to tell you, when I was a kid, somewhere along the line, mom and dad drilled into me that obedience leads to blessings. And I'm going to tell you, it's been like a scavenger hunt the last 25 years of my life, finding the blessings of God, just doing what God says and enjoying what God promised. Now, I was teaching our boys this principle. I said, the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 17, that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from where? From above. It says they come down From above. All right, let's do some geography together, okay? They come down from above. I said, I want you to think about the blessings of God like rain. Oftentimes in Scripture, we see the blessings of God as as like rain. I said, everything that's under God gets rained on. But if you put something above God, it doesn't get rained on. My family used to have a nursery. Uh, my grandparents used to have a, fa- a flower nursery, and my parents had a flower nursery. And um, It was our job, my brother and I's job, to go out there at the nursery in the afternoon and make sure no plants had blown over. Okay, uh, Because sometimes those, the wind would come through, the plants would blow over, and in their black pots, they're like this. And if the pots are not upright, they can't catch the rain. All right, And if they don't catch the rain, I don't know if you know this, but they die. They do. I got I to gotta tell you something sad. <laughs> this is sad. My office, I had a piece of LSU's field from this year growing in my office. And I, I killed a, I killed a uh, bonsai plant. I said, You know what? Grass is hard to kill. And so I had a piece of LSU's field and this nice little planter on my desk. And I said, You know what? I'm going to take my wife uh, away for a few days. And we're going to have some time of planning and prayer and just get away together. Forgot to water that thing. Now I have a dead piece of LSU's field. Okay? It's still just as powerful. All right? It's still just as wonderful, but it's dead. Why? didn't water it. Got to have water. Can I tell you, look, God's blessings are like rain. If God is where he belongs, if God is up here, every good and perfect gift cometh down from above. So that means the song we sang, I exalt thee, let's put God where he belongs, and let's put everything else under God. One nation, what? Under God. And how America saw the blessings of God. We saw the blessings rain down from heaven. But man, we have gotten so high and mighty. We have liberty. We have freedom. We've gotten so smart. We've exalted ourselves above God. And we wonder why it doesn't rain. We've gotten out of order. The blessings come down from above. That means God's got to be exalted at his rightful place. The impact of putting God where he belongs is everything under him gets rained on. That's why don't put your kids above God. You want it rain on them. Listen, don't put your job above God. Your job's going to dry out and die. Why? Because you put it above God, and the blessings couldn't come down and rain on it. I have proved that the hard way. I want to tell you. I could tell you stories of things I put ahead of God. i put deer hunting ahead of God before. Man, that was the longest winter of nothing. Man, I'm sitting out there in the deer stand, praying, God, send me a deer today. Come on, Lord. My eyebrows freezing i just want to kill a deer today didn't pray before i left the house didn't spend any time in the word didn't walk with god it's amazing i get up at four o'clock to go deer hunting but man it's hard to get up four o'clock to pray read my bible you see why the blessings are not going to come down on something that's above god so the impact the blessings of god on the house of Obed Eden was because he had god right there in the middle of all of that second timothy chapter four i want to show you something turn there with me real quick and we're going to hurry we're not going to turn this into a series i promise we're going to hurry second uh, timothy chapter number 4 i want you to see something here verse number 3 the bible says paul in his farewell address to timothy for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears So notice, if you will, in the end times, and I believe we're there, there's going to come a time where people, that their life, their decisions revolves around what? Their own lust. They even want preachers to preach on what they like, on their own lust. Verse 4, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall have turned unto fables how we see that. Paul tells Timothy exactly what he needs to do. Now, folks, I want to tell you, you can find churches all day long where they will preach and accommodate your lust. You can find that. The music will accommodate your lust. The Bible they use will accommodate your lust. They'll make you feel good, all right? Listen, I like feeling good. But when our life revolves around our lust, we're out of order and the blessings of God are not going to be here. It's got to revolve around God. So notice, real quickly, on the second point, notice it blessed his household. But here's something, i never noticed this. The Bible says in verse number 12, it was told King David, saying, the Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom, and all that pertaineth unto him. Notice a side benefit to Obed-Edom having God in the center of his house. The second was an impact that went beyond Obed-Edom. You almost overlook it. I bet you did. Verse 12. The Bible says that it was told King David. It was told King David. Can I tell you what that means? That means people who were not in the house of Obed-Edom were watching. And they saw the blessings of God on the house of Obed-Edom. And they went to David and they said, you know, that ark that you dumped off at his house, he's getting blessed for it. And by the way, you notice what David did? David says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to get it and bring it to my house. So David brought it into the city. But here's what I want you to notice. Notice the witness of the blessings of God because Obed-Edom had God in the center of his home. The Bible says it was said to David that the Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Edom. Can I tell you tonight, there's effects of a God-centered life that go beyond your home. It's important that you put God in the center of your home. Why? Put God in the center of your home. That way your home will function the way it is supposed to function. That way the blessings of God are on your life. And the blessings of God are on your home. But can I tell you something? It goes beyond your home. There are people who are watching and they see the blessings of God on your life. And now the hand of God is on your home. And they start talking about it. You know what that is? That's a witness. I wonder what kind of a witness we could have if we had a God-centered home. What well, kind of a witness we'd have if we had a God-centered heart or a God-centered church, oh, I think people would talk about it. You know, it's kind of like this coronavirus. It's just uh, amazing, and, you know, I'm sure it's being politicized on, on, on both sides of the aisle, uh, but it's obviously real. People are dying from that, and you're seeing how something started in China. Uh, evidently, that's where it supposedly started, and, and how now it's just in every country of the world, and now it's in, in Louisiana, Mississippi hanging in there. Amen. Y'all don't get sick, okay? We always come in last in the bad stuff. Why don't we come in last in something good? We'll be the last state to get it, all right? We're going to leave here tonight. One of you are going to be the one that got it. They're going to put it on the news. They got it at Central Baptist Church. But it spread. Isn't it amazing how it spread? Isn't it amazing? There's a lot of bad stuff that spreads really easy around the world. But I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing like the witness of the hand of God upon your life and the hand of God upon your home and the hand of God upon this church. We had, And when Bayou first started, you know, here we are, a little church and in the shadow of a lot of bigger churches, and uh, a lot of people didn't think we were going to make it. I was told by one encouraging brother that northeast Louisiana is where preachers go to die. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that, brother. I love preachers like that. Not really. And uh, God began to bless our church. And we had a few people in our town get saved and start coming to our church that folks didn't think we would get saved. And I'm sitting in the barber chair one day, and we won't call any names, but the barber says, I heard old so-and-so is coming to y'all's church. I said, yeah, yeah, yes." He, he says, and here's exactly what he said. He says, the preacher and the devil in the same building. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. But he'd heard about it. Heard what God was doing at our church. Folks, what a reputation to have. People say, you know what? That preacher at Central, he, he don't have a whole lot of hair. And those people, uh, you know, they may not be uh, rocket scientists. maybe be the richest people in the world. I will to tell you, God's doing something at that church. God's doing something at that church. I want to tell you, there's no greater reputation a church could have. I love our choir. Oh, my goodness, our choir sings. My, I get a front row seat for that. Man, it's good. I love people talking about how good the music is and the missionaries, how good the spirit was. But there's no greater reputation a church could have than the hand of God is at that place. And the house of Obed-Edom was a witness. People were watching, and they could tell what God was doing. Kind of like the face of Moses when he came down from Mount Sinai. And the Bible says his face shined. Why? Well, he'd been in the presence of God. People can tell it when you've been in the presence of God. They could tell him the life of Obed-Edom. God was there. Notice what they said. And it was told David, the Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom. You know what they didn't say? It was told of David, some weird stuff happening. It was told of David, man, I want to tell you something. He must be doing something right. It was told of David, he bought a scratch off. And he man, he's just doing great. Uh, he's getting all this money and all this stuff. No, notice they knew who it was. And it was told King David saying, the Lord. They knew who it was. And they knew why. It's because Obed-Edom had the presence of God there in his home. It was because of the ark of God. So secondly, notice the impact of a God-centered life, having God-centered service. And i want to give you the key to it right here. The key is back in verse number 11. The key is the hard part. It's going to inconvenience your household. It's going to inconvenience your heart. It's going to inconvenience this church at times, but the impact is worth it. The key to having this and keeping God in the center is in verse 11. The Bible says, "...and the ark of the Lord continued." In the house of Obed Edom. Number three, notice it continued. The most difficult part of living and having a God centered home and a God centered church and a God centered heart is keeping God where he belongs. The Bible says it continued. It means it wasn't just there for a day break, it continued. Matter of fact, the Bible says in verse 11, three months. I will tell you from personal experience, I think we could probably all agree with this. The hard part sometimes is not getting God there, it's keeping him there. Getting God in the center of your home, in the center of your life, it's keeping him there. Why? There's so much competition for that place in your life. There's not a lot of competition for the second or the third or the fourth spot. What is everybody about to compete for if the Olympics go on in Tokyo? What are they competing for? How many of you here? I'm going for the silver? I've never heard that. I'd be happy with that. Man, I'm just holding out for a bronze. No. What is the phrase? I'm going for the gold. I want the top spot on the podium. That's the place that I want. I want the other people to be under me and beside me. I want to be the top dog, the number one. I want to be the best in the world. And that's what the devil wants in our heart. That's what the devil wants in our life, and he wants that place in our, in our, in our homes, in our churches, that center place where God belongs. If you're not careful tonight... You'll give in, and you'll give up, and you'll give something else to that place that only God should occupy, and you won't continue very long. One of the things that breaks my heart a lot is to see people catch fire, and they get excited, their heart gets stirred, and man, their life's humming. Boy, it's spinning, it's spinning, it's going good. Next thing you know, it's just catastrophe. What happened? Well, the devil just attacked them, the devil beat them down. No, greater is he that's in you and he that's in the world. What happened was they chose to replace God in His rightful place with something else in their life. They didn't continue. I'm going to tell you something tonight. If our church wants to function with all these gears working together as God intended it, we must keep God in His rightful place in the center of this work, in the center of our service. Real quickly, I want you to think about Eve. Eve had it all. In that Garden of Eden, it was humming. It was working beautifully. I mean, all they had to do was be obedient to what God told them to do and not do what God told them not to do, and everything would have worked smoothly. But what happened? She was offered an alternative. And she decided to substitute the alternative of her desires and her will for what God wanted. I want to tell you something. The devil's going to offer you very attractive alternatives to substitute something else in the place where God belongs. Could we just look at Eve and remember Eve and what happened to not only her life, but all those who would follow because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden? We find in the book of Job, if there was somebody who had God where he belongs, it was Job. I mean, you see Job, man, he's working well when things are good. But then you see Job working well when things are bad. And what did Job's wife ask him? thou still. Do you know what she was asking him? Are you going to continue? Are you going to continue? And Job just kept telling her, it only works with God where he belongs. And how we see Job's life, I have been impacted by Job's life. You've been impacted by Job's life. Why? Because Job chose that he was going to continue. In that same chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, chapter 4, when you read it, the Bible tells us about all the things that are going to happen at the end times. And he's charging Timothy, keep going. And what does he say? But continue. He said, it's going to get bad. The pressures of this life and the pressures of this world, they're going to do their best to try to get you to say, you know what? I give up. I'm going to pull God from this spot. I can't do it. Paul says, but continue. Why did God bless the church in the book of Acts, that early church? The Bible says they continued. If there's one thing we must learn to do, at Central Baptist Church what you must do at your home, our kids have got to learn this in their life, is that if they want God's hand, God's blessing, God's providence. God has got to be the centerpiece. Not a side piece, but the centerpiece. And then once we get God in that centerpiece, we're going to have to fight to keep him there. The devil's going to give us alternatives. You better believe it. He's going to give us alternatives from keeping God where he belongs. He's going to try to pressure us from keeping God where he belongs. But let's take the counsel of Paul to Timothy. He said in chapter 3, but continue. But continue. So can I ask you this cool quick question tonight? We see that the only hope of God's blessings, the only hope of being the witness that we need to be, is by having a God-centered life. So the question is this. It's point 1 and point 2. Is the impact worth the inconvenience? Is the impact of what God could do in his blessings and through us and the witness, is that worth what it's going to inconvenience it? We ought to be readily available to say yes, absolutely. Putting God where he belongs and having his blessings on this place and that this place would be a witness, it's worth worth whatever inconvenience it's going to cause us. But here's what we've got to get to tonight and we're done. If it's worth the inconvenience, if the impact of what God could do is worth the inconvenience, then we have got to be committed to continuing. it have got to be. We've got to be committed that the present keeping God where he belongs, we're going to be committed to continuing in that. It's not going to be just a weekend visit where I come to see God on Sunday and I'll catch you next Sunday. No, we're going to continue on Monday. We're going to continue on Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. And if we mess up, if we mess up, we're going to confess it, forsake it, get it right with God. Why? That we might have the blessings and the power of God again on this place. Tonight, folks, I want to tell you, every time we look at these gears, let's be reminded the only way they're going to work is that they're positioned with that bolt right there in the center. And that bolt has got to be God. God has got to be in the center, and everything revolves around that. And Obed-Edom would tell you it is worth whatever inconvenience it's going to cost us. So tonight, is God where he belongs. Don't answer me out loud. Don't point to your spouse. Is God where he belongs. Does everything revolve around God in your home, in your heart? Does does God, is he the centerpiece of our life, of our thoughts? If he's there, then his blessings and providence will be on this place. His hand of protection will be on this place. But if he's not, let's get him there tonight. And if he is there, why don't we make a commitment tonight that I'm going to continue. I'm not going to let him lure me away with an alternative. I'm not going to let him pressure me away with persecution and difficulty like in the life of Job. I'm going to answer Job's wife, yes, I still retain my integrity. I'm going to continue. So let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Head's